When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Raider Nation? Hopefully by now you recognize the sound of my voice from Monday's show, but if you don't, my name is Matt Holder and I'm one of the new contributors over here at Silver and Black Pride. All season long, I'm going to be doing a couple of solo pods a week and hopping on tape don't lie for the post-game reaction show while they do their thing for the rest of the week. Today, we're going to go over some injury updates, some of the biggest news stories of the week, and sprinkle in a little preview of gaming on Saturday against the Rams. Alright, let's get to it. We'll start things off with what was probably the best news coming out of Raiderland this week, and that is Darren Waller finally returned to practice. For those that don't know, Waller had missed about two weeks of training camp in what was a bit of an unusual situation. He kept missing time, but all the team was saying was that the injury was minor and he should be back soon. But Waller continued to sit out of practice. Late last week, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler said that Waller was recovering from an ankle injury, and if he was prepping for a regular season game, he'd be out there. But then, The Athletic's Vic Tafer cast some doubt on that report based on what he was hearing. At the end of the day, all that matters is the superstar tight end is back on the field, and it's not like he needed a bunch of reps this time of year anyway. It was concerning that he wasn't out there, but that feeling probably comes more from not knowing what was going on with the injury. Now, Waller and Derek Carr have a little more than three weeks to get back in sync and take on the Ravens on Monday Night Football. In other positive injury news, Carl Joseph returned to the practice field this week as well. Joseph had been out for the same amount of time as Waller, and both players came back on the same day. This is good for the Raiders' secondary that is extremely young at the safety position. Joseph is expected to compete with Jonathan Abram for the starting strong safety position, and the veteran can serve as a mentor for rookies Trevon Merrick and Tyree Gillespie. Hopefully, this also means Joseph will get some playing time against the Rams. It's been a year since he's been in a Raiders uniform, and he was a fan favorite back in Oakland. The Rams have a couple of tight ends in Johnny Munt and Bryson Hopkins that could be an interesting matchup for Joseph. After a minor leg injury late last week held Marcus Mariota out of the game against the Seahawks, he was back in practice this week and expects to play against Los Angeles. That's good news as Marcus mentioned that he keeps an eye on the starting quarterback jobs around the league and he needs to put more tape out there to up his trade value. Now, I know a lot of fans don't want to hear that and want to keep Marcus Mariota around as a backup, but the reality is, if you can turn a player who you'll either never use or use sparingly, and he'll be a free agent at the end of the year, and to say a third or a fourth round pick that can easily be a starter for you over the next three to four years, I think you got to take that deal. While Carson Wentz's injury seems to be progressing well in Indianapolis, there are still plenty of other teams that have playoff-ready rosters and but question marks at quarterback. Washington would be the first place that comes to mind, and New Orleans and Pittsburgh are a couple other options, and maybe even Miami. Regardless, it will still be fun to watch Mariota play, and there are plenty of reasons to root for him to succeed. Undrafted rookie free agent Darius Stills put the pads back on and was out on the practice field yesterday, but did have a club on his right hand. Stills has missed the majority of camp, which is a little disappointing because he was a guy I liked during the draft last season, and I thought the Raiders got a steal when they signed him as an undrafted free agent. Of course, the injury isn't his fault, but it sucks that he hasn't been able to get out there, especially because Las Vegas is thin at defensive tackle, so he has a legitimate shot at making the roster. However, it'll take one hell of a performance from Stills over the next few weeks to make that happen, and he's probably destined for the practice squad. There's no shame in that, though. The NFL has already announced that they'll carry over a lot of the same COVID roster rules as last year, meaning the practice squad has increased to 16 players and teams can activate anyone off of it up to 90 minutes before kickoff. 
And as we saw last year, positive COVID tests can strike at any time. All right, now it's time for the worst part of the show, the bad side of the injury report. The Athletics' Deshaun Reed reported that running back Jalen Richard, wide receiver John Brown, and linebackers Nick Wachowski and Darren Lee didn't practice on Thursday. Richard has been out with a foot injury and could be sidelined for some time. Reed had mentioned at the time of the injury that the running back was out indefinitely, and to my knowledge, no further updates have been provided. It sounds like Richard might miss the start of the regular season. Brown is a bit of a surprise, but might have just been getting a Veterans Day off. We'll see if any more news comes in the next few days. Kwiatkowski has been absent for a handful of practices now, so he likely won't be playing on Saturday, though I doubt he'd get much more to run, even if he was healthy. Lee's injury is new and could affect Las Vegas' depth at linebacker against the Rams, but he might not be on the team much longer as I'd be surprised if he makes the final 53-man roster and another cut-down day is coming on Tuesday. Sticking with Las Vegas' linebacker corpse, Nicholas Mormer went down on Thursday with what sounded like a bad leg injury. Reports were that he tried to get up on his own, went down again, and eventually gingerly walked off the field under his own power. Hopefully it was just a scare, but the people in attendance made it seem like it was worrisome. With Krakowski, Lee, and Morrow out, look for Tanner Muse, Javen White, and maybe even newly signed Tavon Cooney to get quite a bit of playing time in LA. Starting guard Richie Incognito was also banged up with what appears to be a lower leg injury, though there didn't seem to be as much worry about Incognito's injury as Morrow's, so it seems like the offensive lineman will be just alright. Now that that's over with, let's move on to some actual news stories. And what was probably the biggest news, and definitely the most controversial coming out of Las Vegas this week, is the Raiders are requiring fans to be fully vaccinated to attend games this year. Those who are vaccinated can roam around Allegiant Stadium without a mask on, and anyone who is unvaccinated can go to the game, get the first shot, as the organization is offering vaccines on-site, and be in attendance but must wear a mask until they get the second shot and the appropriate time passes. After that, they can of course go maskless in the stadium. Any season ticket holder who does not want to get the vaccine can either receive a full refund for their tickets or roll them over to next year. Las Vegas is the first team in the NFL to enact a vaccine policy for fans, and I believe the first among the four major sports. The Raiders headed down to Los Angeles early this week for some joint practices with the Rams on Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday seemed to go pretty well for Hunter Renfro as multiple beat writers reported that he got the best of all pro cornerback Jalen Ramsey on some one-on-one drills. That spewed a frenzy of memes on Twitter, which I may or may not have participated in, and led Ramsey to shoot off a couple tweets about the so-called haters. The next day, when the cornerback was asked about it, he said he went back and watched the film and didn't know what people were talking about, stating it was quote-unquote all for clicks, which is what someone who totally, definitely, and absolutely didn't get beat would definitely do or say. Las Vegas' defense was active on Wednesday as well as rookie safety Trayvon Merrick, linebacker and former Ram Corey Littleton, and backup cornerback Rasul Douglas all grabbed interceptions off Matthew Stafford. As you probably could have expected, Waller had a handful of highlight plays in LA as well. From what I could see in here, he was virtually unguardable. Things weren't all sunshine and rainbows though as practice did start to get a little bit chippy on Wednesday with a few players like Richie Incognito, Foster Moreau, and Nevin Lawson reportedly participating in a few extracurricular activities. That would carry over into Thursday as Las Vegas actually left practice about 45 minutes early due to what many call the massive brawl between the Raiders and Rams during a special team period. John Gruden was clearly frustrated about the fight stating that he had no idea what started it but he had enough of that crap and it's not good for football. Now. I'm not saying this is what started all the mayhem, but the reports about the brawl came shortly after the news about Morrow's injury, so the tension could have been tightened. Also, this is the time of year when fights are common. It's hot, guys are mentally and physically exhausted while jobs are on the line, and they're getting to hit somebody else for that's not a teammate, so the intensity is all the way up. 
It's also worth noting that this is the second week in the row that the Rams have been in fights during joint practices as they had a few run-ins with the Cowboys last week. Moving on to something that may or may not be a news story as there's some conflicting information out there. Now, before I dive into the story, I want to preface this by saying I don't have much more information than you guys have, and I'm not trying to position myself as some sort of insider. I'm just looking to recap the story for you guys, but the Raiders could be in some trouble with the IRS. So back up and make sure I paint the whole picture for you. About a day or two, or sometimes shortly before training camp started, Raiders president Mark Bedane retired. It was a bit unusual given the timing right before the season started, and Bedane was with the organization for 30 years, but... He was getting up there in age and mentioned the move to Las Vegas took a lot out of him, so it didn't seem like too big of a deal. But about a week later, Brandon Dole, who was Bedane's right-hand man and I would think would have at least been in contention to replace Bedane, also stepped down along with two other high-ranking front office members. That's when things started to get really interesting, especially because the Raiders weren't commenting on the matter other than to thank the employees for their service. Then, Jason Cole reports that the organization has hired an outside law firm to deal with whatever's going on, which could explain the silence if it's an ongoing legal matter. On the other hand, if nothing's wrong, there's no reason to comment, so either could still be true. Now that brings us to yesterday, or Thursday, depending on when you're listening to this. Michael Zanian of Forbes Sports Morning tweeted that the resignation stemmed from the Raiders facing quote-unquote very big tax implications for money not reported as income. Cole then added to Ozanian's tweet stating, This is believed to be linked to approximately $200 million income slash loan accrual from 1995 loan that Oakland Alameda County made to the Raiders that was never repaid because it was supposedly non-recoverable. Raiders could owe California state slash federal tax on the full amount. Obviously, that would be problematic for their organization. However, Daniel Kaplan, who is a sports business reporter for The Athletic, sent out his own tweet stating that the issue with the Raiders that led to staff departures was actually for overpaying taxers. Mick Akers of the Las Vegas Review-Journal shared a similar statement to Kaplan's, stating that a source told him the resignations had nothing to do with Allegiant Stadium or public money owned. Obviously, there's a lot of conflicting information, and it's a complicated issue. Again, I don't have any info beyond what's been reported, but myself and the rest of the staff at Silver and Black Pride will continue to update you guys as more details emerge. Alright, we'll wrap things up with my favorite part of the show, where I get to tell you guys a little bit about a preview of the game on Saturday and about what to expect. Now, I'll preface this by saying anyone that's followed me for a while knows that I'm a huge NFL draft nut, so I really love this time of year in the preseason because I get to watch a lot of rookie matchups, which I know makes me weird. Trust me, you're not telling me anything I don't already know. Now, for the Raiders, one of the biggest matchups that I'm looking forward to is going to be Nate Haas versus Tutu Atwell. Tutu Atwell, for those of you guys that don't know about him, played at Louisville and was a wide receiver. It was an absolute speed demon. He was clocked at about 4.32 on his pro day, but he might even be faster than that and probably rivals Henry Ruggs' speed. Now, on the other side of that is Hobbs, who's going to be playing slot corner, which is a new position for him, but he's apparently been doing really well at it in training camp. And he runs a 4.38 or ran a 4.38 at his pro day, so he should match up fairly well with his speed, but of course, we'll see what happens on Saturday. This matchup is definitely something I'm keeping an eye on on Saturday, and I put this in my article on silverandblackpride.com. That's up right now. Go make sure you check it out. But if this game were a UFC fight or a boxing match, this back and forth right here would be the main event. The other rookie matchup I'm looking forward to is going to be Raiders center Jimmy Morrissey versus Rams defensive tackle Bobby Brown III. Pass protection-wise, Morrissey had a bit of a rough debut last week against the Seahawks as he registered about a... I think a 9.1 PFF grade in pass blocking, which means he was getting beat and getting beat quickly. Now, that's not the end-all be-all, as he only did play on five pass blocking snaps, so it could have just been a few bad reps, 
but he's going to be tested again this week against Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown is a guy who I really liked in the pre-draft process and could be an absolute monster at the nose. He runs about 325 pounds compared to Morrissey's 305 pounds, and Bobby Brown has a hell of a bull rush that he can absolutely collapse the pocket with. So, Morrissey's going to be tested again, and guess what? Brown's just as effective and probably even more effective against the run as well. So, Morrissey's going to be tested, and they're going to be up close and personal as Brown likes to play nose as well. The third rookie matchup I'm looking forward to is going to be Malcolm Coots versus Alaric Jackson. The third rookie matchup that I'm looking forward to is going to be Malcolm Kuntz versus Alaric Jackson. This is the second week in a row that Kuntz finds himself in an impressive rookie matchup, as last week he went up against the Seattle Seahawks' Stone Forsyth, and I thought Forsyth got the best of him. To me, it looked like the game was going a little bit fast for Kuntz, and he was doing a little bit more thinking rather than reacting, but this week he should have a much more favorable matchup against Jackson, as Jackson was much more known for his run-blocking skills than his pass-blocking. So hopefully, Kuntz can get some more reps, learn from what he did last week, and the game will start to slow down a little bit for him and he can win around the edge. Another article I wrote this week about the game that's up on silverandblackpride.com are five Raiders to watch in the game on Saturday. The first one's going to be Carl Joseph. Now, I already talked about Joseph's return and talked about him at the beginning of the show, so I won't go into too many details. But again, this is going to be his first time back in a Raiders uniform after a year off in Cleveland, and he's going to face a couple of impressive tight ends in Johnny Munt and Bryson Hopkins. excuse me. And Hopkins was, of course, the Big Ten tight end of the year back in 2019. Darius Villon is another guy I'm going to be keeping my eye on this weekend. The Raiders were obviously pretty active this offseason at the defensive tackle position, and Fallon was a big part of that. I think he has a chance to eventually take over as a starter at some point down the road, but right now he's going to be competing for a roster spot, and he had a hell of a week last week against Seattle, and this week he gets to go up against a Rams offensive line that's rather thin. I already talked at the beginning of the show about how important this week is for Marcus Mariota to build his trade value, and I'm going to keep the other side of the fan base happy on this part of the show and talk about what to expect if he does end up staying with the team. A lot of the talk surrounding the backup quarterback this offseason is how Gruden apparently has a special package set up for him in the playbook. Now, I'm not expecting Gruden to completely play his hand in the preseason, but it will be nice to at least get a taste to see how he's going to use Mariota during the regular season. The fourth guy I'm going to be keeping my eye on on Saturday is going to be cornerback Damon Arnett. Now, I talked at the beginning of the show about how the Rams have quite a bit of depth at wide receiver. While I don't expect guys like Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and Deshaun Jackson to play, they still have plenty of talent in that position with Van Jefferson and Tutu Atwell, who I mentioned at the beginning of the show. That means Damon Arnett is going to be tested again, and for a guy that's kind of had a rough offseason, seeing as he's been demoted to the second string, it's important for him to have a big game. Last week, it was only one play, but I thought it was a big one that Damon Arnett gave up. He only played about 15 snaps, and every single rep's going to count, especially when your back's already against the wall and you're only playing that few snaps. And it was about a third and five. Seattle ran a drag route, and Damon Arnett does everything perfectly. He reads it and, and jumps the route and is in a great position to make a tackle short of the sticks. But then he ends up missing the tackle, and Seattle ends up converting a first down. Again, only one play, and he did the majority of it right. But when your back's against the wall and you're already kind of on thin ice with the coaching staff, those are the type of plays you need to make. And hopefully he continues to make them, or starts to make them, I should say, on Saturday. We'll round things out with center Andre James, who's really going to be a player to watch throughout the entire season, which kind of comes with the territory of replacing an all-pro center like Rodney Hudson. Now, I thought James fared pretty well last week in pass protection. I don't think he gave up any pressures to my knowledge, but he definitely struggled to create rushing lanes in the running game. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the Rams have an impressive young nose tackle in Bobby Brown, who is a force against the run, so James is going to be tested again this week. I think Brown will get quite a bit of playing time for the Rams this week. He missed the beginning of training camp with an injury, so I'm sure they want to see what they have in him. And I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up going up against James and Morrissey, who I mentioned at the beginning of the show. 
All right, that'll just about do it for today's show. Make sure you're following Silver and Black Pride on Twitter if you're not already. And of course, make sure you're following myself as well, at mholder95. Other than that, until next time, guys.